we would like to acknowledge and respect the traditional owners, including the Wandri Woiwurrung people as the regional custodians of this land, along with their customs and traditions and their special relationship with the land. It's Sunday the 7th of November and welcome to The Wind Down, a recap of the week's news produced by Swinburne University's The Standard. I'm your host, Angus Delaney. Among today's headlines, Scott Morrison is accused of being a liar by French President Emmanuel Macron. Also coming up, we speak with student journalist Kate Williams about her story on the rise of Melbourne's famous Peregrine Falcon family. Plus, we hear your thoughts on what's been the biggest news story of the year. And now, for the week's headlines. French President Emmanuel Macron has accused Prime Minister Scott Morrison of being a liar after the Australian leader withdrew from a $90 billion submarine contract in mid-September to pursue a deal with the United States and United Kingdom. The Macron made the allegation when questioned by the press at the ongoing Glasgow Climate Summit. Do you think he lied to you? I don't think, I know. Scott Morrison rejected the accusation and he says he communicated very clearly with the French president. He also says the Macron statements concerning the trustworthiness of Australia wasn't acceptable. I must say that I think the statements that were made uh, questioning Australia's integrity um, and the slurs that have been placed on Australia, not me, I've got broad shoulders, I can deal with that, but those slurs, I'm not going to cop sledging in Australia. Tensions further escalated when a text message from between Macron and Morrison was leaked, in which Macron wrote, should I be expecting good or bad news for our joint submarine's ambitions? This text occurred just two days before Morrison announced Australia was joining forces with the US and UK on a separate submarine deal. Morrison maintains that the decision to lead the French contract was to pursue the best deal for Australia and in the nation's best interest. Melbourne's Peregrine Falcons have lived in the Collins Street for 30 years, but recently went viral on social media, with the YouTube video gaining over 150 million views. We speak with student journalist Kate Williams about this story. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Kate. Could you tell me a little bit about your article that got published on Swinburne's publication, The Standard, and how these falcons in Melbourne have become such a sensation? Yeah, sure, I'd love to. Um, so these falcons have been roosting in the city for um, at least 30 years now. Uh, we didn't discover them until 91. They may have been there before that, uh, but we'll never know. Um, so these birds just took up residence on top of uh, 367 Collins Street in the CBD. Um, and once we found them, I mean, the city just kind of fell in love with them. Everybody wanted to know what they were up to and every season they'd lay eggs and chicks would hatch and the news covered it. Um, you know, there was a whole foundation that um, started the Victorian Peregrine Project that actually began um, and they monitored the birds and and, and now they're going viral online, which is really quite remarkable when you think about how they started 30 years ago. Yeah, 30, 30 years is really impressive. Um, so they've been a part of Melbourne since 1991. Could you tell me about how they were first discovered and what happened then? Yeah, of course. When I wrote my article, I was lucky enough to speak to Victor Hurley, who is the head of the Victorian Peregrine Project. He founded the VPP. Um, and he was, he told me all about that, that first discovery because he was involved from the beginning. And what was happening was there was some workers uh, doing renovations or some such on the building. And they started getting swooped by the Falcons because the Falcons had laid eggs uh, on the top of the building. 
so they were defending their territory. Um, and, uh, you know, Victor got called in as kind of a consultant because the workers decided instead of trying to, I don't know, chase the birds off or anything like that, they decided they wanted to respect the falcons. Uh, so it all just went from there, you know, the building management, the builders involved, you know, Victor and, and the Victorian Peregrine Project as it became, all got involved to make a home for the falcons and they built a nest box and they started, you know, hatching their chicks from the next year after that. And how did these falcons start becoming like a, a small scale public uh, spectacle that people would sit down and watch? Right, well, when they first found the birds uh, in 91, uh, when they were doing those revamped, all those re renovations, I should say on the building, um, they decided to um, lay some cable so that they could put a camera up there at the nest. And they did, they rigged up a camera, just filming the nest full time and it was linked to a CCTV, um, you know, circuit uh, just in the building at Collins Street. And they put up a little TV in the foyer. Um, so, you know, when the Falcons were roosting there, you could see them just on display there in the foyer. And people, you know, they got wind of it. They came to check it out. Um, and the thing I'll never forget Victor telling me was, you know, people would rock up to the Collins Street foyer with a fold-out chair and a packed lunch and just set up camp and watch the Falcons on the TV for half an hour, an hour. How um, has this love and fascination of the Falcons in Melbourne grown over the last three decades? It's a really interesting one. It seems to have been a really natural evolution. So, you know, for a long time, they were just, you know, sort of a, a feature of the building. If you were in, you know, 367 Collins Street, you know, you could see the birds on the feed there. Um, and they were covered by the news media, like they would do press conferences every year that they were, you know, that they were falcons laying eggs, they would update everybody on what was going on, and they'd get published in the age, and um, they had sponsors like the Ford Motor Company. Um, uh, and so all of that, you know, just sort of went along as it was for, uh, must have been almost 25 years. Uh, and then in 2016, um, they did, you know, yet another revamp on the building. Um, and Mervac, who run the live stream now, decided they wanted to make it um, a fixture that didn't just stream to the foyer. They wanted to put it on the internet. So it was the same, you know, essentially the same footage um, on a new system that was now being broadcast as a YouTube live stream. And once the Falcons were online, the fans moved online and that's when the Facebook group got made and that's when the image started to get shared around online. Um, and that just sort of naturally grew and developed. I spoke to the admin of the Facebook page who said that, you know, they just wanted to connect people who were fans of the Falcons. Um, and it, you know, started with about 300 members at the end of the first year of the group running. Uh, doubled every year as people, you know, got their friends involved and, and all the like. But then this year, particularly 2021, took off. Um, I think between everybody being stuck in lockdown in Melbourne, wanting to find something new and, you know, uplifting to look at, as opposed to the same old boring, depressing headlines every day. Um, thousands of people, in fact, I think it's in my article, it's upwards of 20,000 new members joined the group in about six weeks, um, you know, between the Falcons laying their eggs this year and between them hatching. Um, and it helped that they went viral too, uh, because we had that earthquake in Melbourne. And for some reason, just probably because it was exceptionally cute, 
the clip of the falcon who was sitting on the eggs at the time the clip of that reaction that the falcon had to the earthquake um got picked up by not just victoria not just australia but global news media um and published across the world and it got like 180 something million streams in you know a week um again the stats in my article i don't remember it off the top of my head i'm sorry no, that sounds pretty right and it seems crazy for um falcons why do you think people just love the birds so much well i think some of this is my you know conjecture and some of it's what people have said to me first of all they're just well they're quite rare you know peregrine falcons they're a fascinating animal i mean they're the fastest predator on the planet so first of all there's always something about that that people are just kind of interested in um, and then you, you don't see many of them like i wrote there's only 250 nest sites in victoria so you don't see them you know hanging out in your driveway every morning um, and here they are living in in the city in the melbourne cbd um, so I think just the combination of all of those things, they're a novel kind of bird, um, they're in a novel place. Um, and I think the most important factor in why these falcons became such a big, you know, sort of obsession for the city is the airtime that they got given. So the fact that they became a new story, they got circulated every year, the fact that they are now on the YouTube live stream and they're getting, you know, um, shared online, they're getting, you know, posted by the guardian um among other places i think just as long as they keep giving that they keep get, getting given that attention the fact that they are you know they're cute birds i mean you know they're terrifying when they're bringing back you know small pigeon carcasses to feed their chicks but when they're you know they're flapping their wings about trying to learn how to fly in the nest they're just adorable and i think it's just aside from being novel and fascinating and kind of thrilling to watch these high order predators go about their business it's just nice. There's something really comforting about putting the live stream on and having it just, you know, kind of keep you company. I've spoke to a couple of people who, who, who do exactly that. They just put the live stream on in their home offices. And it's, you know, kind of like having, you know, your own little Falcon family to keep you company. Yes, that's lovely. And you said that the nest numbers are only around 250 in Victoria, but Falcon numbers have, or Peregrine Falcon numbers have been even worse back in the 60s and 70s because of, I think, pesticides that were damaging their yeah. uh, eggs and stuff like that. Do you think these birds uh, could be a symbol of uh, conservation in Victoria or something along those lines? Yeah, I think so. Um, that was something that really grabbed me when I first was researching the falcons is the fact that they did have quite a population scare because these pesticides called DDT and Dieldrin um, what was happening is, you know, they were being used to kill off pests, which is what pesticides are supposed to do. Um, but the problem was the birds, the smaller birds like galahs or pigeons, you know, that feed on the actual insects, they were ingesting these pesticides, retaining them. And then the falcons were then, of course, hunting the galahs and the pigeons. And they again, in turn, ingested the pesticide. And what it did to the peregrines is it resulted in um, quite detrimental eggshell thinning. So when they laid eggs, they weren't thick enough to withstand conditions and their chicks weren't surviving. So they did become an endangered species globally. Um, and it wasn't just um, Australia or Victoria, it was around the whole world. Um, falcons were in trouble. Um, but I think as far as them being a symbol for, you know, recovery and, and resilience and conservation, I think there's a lot to be learned there because groups like, you know, the VPP, they 
they did something they researched they paid attention they they banded the birds and they did they publicized you know the issue so that we knew that the birds needed looking after um, and they have bounced back really well like again they're a rare bird so there's never going to be you know a million of them but they're so much better than they were and again I think a big thing about that is because the pesticides were banned and I think that's again a really important message to take away is that you know individuals can pay as much attention as they want to and that's a huge and important part of any kind of change but you know the people that have the power to make these differences they have to do it the people that can say no we're not going to make DDT and Dieldrin anymore because it's killing the peregrine falcon they have to say that and they have to stop using these pesticides um, and the fact that they did do that the fact that they did get taken out of circulation is a big reason why we've still got peregrine falcons and why we can turn on the YouTube live stream and see how the uh, four almost fully sized fledglings are doing. And now back to our headlines. Victorian Liberal Party leader Matthew Guy has once again urged Tim Smith not to stand for pre-selection for the seat of Q at the next state election. This call comes as the result of Tim Smith being found over twice the legal blood alcohol limit in a car crash in Hawthorne last weekend. Speaking at a press conference on Wednesday afternoon, the member for Q has apologised and resigned from the shadow cabinet, but has resisted calls to stand down from pre-selection. Tim Smith has also denied reports that the opposition leader has called for him to resign during a closed door meeting, saying he only asked him to reflect his position. Mr Guy disagrees with this, saying he has asked the Liberal MP not to recontest at the next state election. Mr Guy also hinted at the possibility that the party may reject Mr Smith's pre-selection if he does go ahead with recontesting his seat next year. Gladys Berejiklian has revealed that she did not think ex-boyfriend Darren Maguire was doing anything wrong, despite having heard phone calls of herself telling him he associated with dodgy people. It was also revealed that her former chief of staff told her to cut the contact with him years before she did. Furthermore, it was uncovered that Maguire tried to convince her to use an encrypted messaging service like WeChat or a private phone to contact him. They can read text but not the little green man, it leaves no trace. Do you see that there? Mm -hmm. Do you know what Mr Maguire was referring to by the little green man? I have no idea. Berejiklian spent much of her hearing getting frustrated whenever she was accused of letting her relationship blind her or doubling down on her innocence. No, I didn't feel I had anything or knew anything. I didn't even have last names, I knew nothing. The hearing was closed to the public once Berejiklian began to discuss private details about her relationship. The November 1st hearing end of the public inquiry. It is unknown when Assistant Commissioner Ruth McColl will deliver her findings, but it could be months away. Elon Musk has challenged a claim that a small percentage of his wealth could solve food poverty. These comments were in response to a claim by World Food Program Director David Beasley, who has been asking billionaires like Musk and Jeff Bezos to step up and make a large one-time payment. He says 8 billion Australian dollars could prevent the deaths of 42 million people. Musk, who is worth over $300 billion, pledged to sell Tesla stocks and donate that amount to World Food Program, but only if Beasley replied on Twitter with a full and transparent account of exactly how the money will be used. He denied an invitation to a meeting with Beasley where he would have access to all the plans and open books, saying he would only follow through if the information was posted on Twitter. We have a one-time crisis of about 
42 million people that are literally knocking on Thamma's door. It will cost about over $6 billion to reach those 42 million. And we can do that. And I will show him. We will put it out in front of him. We have all the cost accounting, public transparency, any and everything that he would ask, we will be glad to answer. And I look forward to having this discussion with him. The World Food Program says it uses money to address famine in war-torn areas with emergency assistance packages, rapid responses, and longer-term strategies. They believe hunger is a key weapon in war and try and prevent it before it happens. We asked you, our listeners, to tell us what you thought the biggest story of the year was, and here's what you said. You thought the most important story of the year was the COVID-19 vaccines. The second most important story was the Christian Porter sexual assault allegations in Parliament. In third place was Gladys Berejiklian resigning amid an ICAC probe. And in fourth place was the Capitol riots in Washington DC in the USA. Thank you all for writing in and supporting the show. Next up is Natalie Anderson with Sport. First in sport, in AFL, troubled footballer Digali enlists powerful New York law firm as fellow teammates reach out. Famous Aussie Rules Collingwood footballer Jordan Digoe has enlisted a powerful New York law firm to help him keep out of jail on a day teammates began to question why he has yet again found himself in serious trouble. Fellow teammate Braden Mannard has more information on this controversy. He's obviously made another mistake and he's got to pay for whatever that, whatever that may be. And um, yeah, I'll just send him a message to say, mate, I'm, I'm here for you no matter what. Former Magpies recruiter Matt Rendell believes Degoe may have actually scared off potential business and he could take an enormous financial hit due to the controversy. Collingwood teammates, including Jeremy Howe and Braden Mannard, have been among those who have reached out to Degoe. And it certainly is a sad time for the Melbourne Vixens as they have unfortunately been fined by Super Netball for failing to travel to Perth to play the West Coast Fever in July. The Vixens didn't travel to Perth in July because three key players had visited a COVID hotspot in the location of Byron Bay. The Fever did not want to relocate the game due to the resulting loss in game day revenue. Netball Australia rescheduled initially and moved the match away from Perth due to later COVID-19 outbreaks. After a substantial investigation, Netball Australia family vixens had breached the league's team participation agreement. And consequently, the vixens were fined approximately $50,000. We are disappointed with the outcome, considering the evidence we supplied throughout the review, Netball Victoria Chief Executive Rosie King said. And that's all in the sports newsroom. Thanks, Natalie. Now back to our headlines. Comedian Jordan Shanks, also known as Friendly Geordies on YouTube, has apologised to John Barillaro and agreed to pay $100,000 to settle the defamation case against him. Shanks's lawyer read a statement in court, reiterating that freedom of expression was important, but that some comments made on his YouTube channel were offensive to John Barillaro. Shanks had previously attempted to plead truth on claims that Barillaro was a corrupt con man but the argument was thrown out due to the evidence being under parliamentary privilege. On top of the payment and apology, 
Shanks will also re-upload edited versions of the videos in question, as well as stop selling merch featuring Barilaro. He also promises to not publish claims about the former Deputy Premier's personal life. In a statement, Barilaro says he welcomes the settlement and has accepted the apology. Farm workers are now entitled to the minimum wage in a landmark ruling by the Fair Work Commission. This replaces the previous system of wages, where many farm workers were paid on a piece rate, where workers were compensated on how much produce was harvested. Farm lobby groups oppose the decision, arguing that paying the minimum wage would be a burden and lead to a price increase for customers. The Australian Workers' Union lodged the claim to the Fair Work Ombudsman, arguing that the previous system was used to exploit and underpay workers. In its finding, the Fair Work Ombudsman found that a significant percentage of workers were earning less than the national minimum wage, and as a result, the peace rate system must be abolished. The Australian Workers' Union National Secretary Daniel Walton welcomed the decision, saying it will provide a safety net to all farm workers. And here's a story that caught my eye this week. The New Zealand long-tailed bat has contentiously won the nation's Bird of the Year award. The long-tailed bat, which weighs about 10 grams, was included in the competition to raise awareness for the critically endangered mammal. Many bird fans throughout New Zealand were angry at the result, calling it a stolen election on Twitter. Over 56,000 people voted in the competition, with 7,000 supporting the long-tailed bat, and second place went to the flightless kakapo, which won the award in 2020. I think it's important that bats get some good publicity after COVID-19, so I see this as an absolute win. Today's episode of The Wind Down was written by Diti Kuti, Tim Wilson, Ayana Osman and Angus Delaney. It was edited and produced by Angus Delaney and the album artwork is by Emily Lee. You can find us on Instagram at Swinburne Journalism or at The Wind Down Swinburne. Twitter at Swin Journalism or on our website, theswinstandard.net.